the greatest hitters in the history of baseball fail seven out of 10 times. You know, Tom Brady always tells me, he's like, it's not the seven Super Bowls that I won. It's the three Super Bowls that I lost from which I learned the most. And that's a common theme you see with even the greatest. I'm working with Serena Williams. She's, you know, she went to 34 Grand Slam finals. You know, it's the 11 that she lost that she thinks about the most, you know, and taught her the most. And she always says, if it wasn't for those 11, I wouldn't have won the 23. Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. You just heard from today's guest, Gotham Chopra. Gotham is an award-winning filmmaker who sits at the forefront at the intersection of sports, science, and spirituality. The sports part, he is a documentary filmmaker, film and television series uh, focused specifically on legendary athletes and sports in general like Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Serena Williams, Alex Morgan, Usain Bolt, the list is long. He also, as I mentioned, sits at this intersection of all of that sports stuff, science, where we talk about peak performance, flow states, and all that stuff, and spirituality. You may recognize his last name, Chopra. Indeed, his father is Deepak Chopra, so he was raised in a universe where this spirituality certainly played a very, very key theme in his life. It's not a stretch, therefore, to see how he has so elegantly combine these different attributes into an amazing career as a storyteller through this lens of sports. He talks about sports being a language. And we talk about it in today's episode, all that stuff. And we also talk about how to extrapolate the best virtues of greatness, right? What are the attributes that we can employ that the best athletes in the world uh, are, are masters at. We talk about the things we can do, the things that we should steer clear of, obsessions, for example, and a whole lot more. It's a very riveting episode. I can't wait for you to dive in. I'm going to get out of your way. Again, enjoy the show. Yours truly, and Gotham Chopra. Mr. Gotham Chopra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we have uh, a long history here on this show of this the interconnection between culture, popular culture, history, uh, creativity, entrepreneurship, and I would just say peak performance. And a big part of that is um, I think we all want to be the best versions of ourselves. And there are a handful of places culturally where this is very, um, it's put on display, I would say very publicly. And one of those is the arena of sports. And this is a huge piece of your background. Um, that's where I want to start today. But before we do, I'm wondering if you can take just 90 seconds and, uh, for the folks at home who may not be familiar with you, your work in and around sports and peak performance, uh, tell us a little story about your background and, and, uh, what interests you? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so name is Gotham Chopra. I'm a filmmaker by background. Um, I'd, I'd say I'm really a storyteller. And, you know, I grew up in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I'm first generation American, which means I'm the first person in my family ever born outside of um, South Asia. Um, and, you know, for me, growing up in a place like Boston where sports was you know, it's a hotbed for sports. Um, it was sort of like a, a language, I would say. 
you know, it was how I assimilated. It's how I became American. I became a huge, you know, Celtics and Red Sox and Patriots and Bruins fan. You know, ironically, like during my like the 80s, when I was sort of like becoming a teenager, you know, they were all pretty. The Celtics were great, but sort of tinged, tinged by tragedy. There was Len Bias passed away, Reggie Lewis, you know, Larry Bird retired prematurely. Um, but everyone else was pretty terrible. But there was something about that sort of suffering, you know, that shared suffering, especially the Red Sox, the Patriots, um, <laughs> that I think sort of bonded me. I went to high school where sports was a big part of the sort of, you know, culture and fabric. And, um, you know, I think that's where I got my first taste of like, you know, what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself. I used to go to like Fenway Park and Boston Garden, like veritable cathedrals, you know, in the religion of sports. And so that's, you know, when I sort of really fell in love with sports later in life, I became, you know, a reporter. Um, I did a lot of stuff. I studied English in college. And I think, you know, what I've done for the last 10 years or so is sort of bring those together. You know, the culture of sports, but also storytelling. It's not just been me. I remember now going back 10, 12 years or whatever, when 30 for 30 launched. And, you know, suddenly there was yeah. this thing where you could be a sports fan or a lover of sports and a storyteller or a filmmaker these things live together because before that I would say they were like two separate things. Like sports is what I did yeah. my personal time. And meanwhile, I was like a storyteller or a filmmaker over here. 30 for 30 helped bring them together because, you know, people like Spike Lee and Barry Levinson and all these amazing filmmakers were doing them. So that's when I really was like, oh, I can do this. And since then, you know, I've, I've built this company and really just immersed myself and been really fortunate to work with some amazing you know, talents from starting with Kobe Bryant, probably the most iconic first, and maybe still most iconic athlete I've ever worked with. And I would say that became a catalyst for for me, um, my career and and creatively. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You know, so many of the things you, I mean, everything you talked about, entrepreneurship, storytelling, um, peak performance, which I, you know, I, I'm fascinated by. I also have a background. I sort of buried the lead my father's Deepak Chopra and I grew up in Massachusetts sort of around that as well like the spirituality world so the convergence of sports and spirituality is performance you know and that's the area that you know I'm, I'm really fascinated by well your your documentary work is second to none so impressive as you mentioned Kobe Bryant but there's you're leaving out folks like Tom Brady when you did Tom versus Time and LeBron James yeah. and Steph Curry Simone Biles or Biles uh, Alex Morgan Usain Bolt I mean yeah. that is a list of clearly right. many of the the you know the best athletes in the world and was your initial attraction to storytelling through the lens of sports was that separate was it a vehicle to get at peak yeah. performance was it this convergence of the you know the the your background in spirituality yeah. for example and how we find our way as humans if i'm not mistaken the there's a quote in the front of the the book which we will share talk about here in a second but there's a tom brady quote about spirituality i'm going to read it just for a second spirituality means a lot of different things to different people for me it's your deepest purpose i do want to know the whys of life i want to know why we're here where we're going trying to find the deeper purpose to live it through sports in a very authentic way makes so much sense to me having 
these dreams and goals and aspirations and waking up and putting in the work and miracles happening and all of this magic that sports creates. And I'm in the middle of it. I get to live that through sports. Sew this all together, this fabric for me, like how did you get into it? Which is the lens that you first put on it? Yeah. So, you know, again, my background growing up in Massachusetts, my dad and, you know, him sort of having, you know, I would say a personal, but then professional um, transformation in the world of spirituality. He was a, a physician by background. And probably when I was a teenager, started to have his own, you know, life transformation and started things like, you know, meditation, um, practicing that. And so I started to get exposed to it then. But I would say, you know, ironically, when I um, graduated from college, you know, which is going way back now. Um, but, you know, my first job was I sort of ran away from that world of spirituality, or at least I thought I was. I became a jur- I was a reporter. I worked for a company called Channel One News, which broadcasts in schools all over the country. It was a news network. And, you know, I really asked for, demanded, I would say, I wanted to cover conflicts i wanted to go where what i thought was like the least spiritual places in the world so you know (laughs) war zones like you know afghanistan pakistan and chechnya and colombia you know it's just like crazy places you know what i found there one like two things i'll say is like one you found young people you know probably even younger than me at the time i was in my 20s but like um you know younger than me who were fighting wars over grievances that their ancestors, you know, these religious feuds and ethnic feuds and stuff like that. And there's actually something uh, which a whole different discussion, but like deeply spiritual about that. It's like, you know, this thing inside of you, this thing that you've inherited, this thing that you feel so, um, you know, agonized over. And, but you know what, the thing I found there that the, there were two things that you could talk about in war zones, like amongst enemies, sports and music. Those were the two things that everybody sort of laid like you that back then, you know, you could talk about Michael Jordan, you could talk about David Beckham, you could talk about the bad boys, you know, and people would like, huh, everyone had an opinion, you know, and um, that was sort of interesting to me. And so I think, you know, flash, flash forward, however many years, a decade later, um, when I met Kobe Bryant, and I, you know, I noticed in him, in talking to him, that, you know, this was a guy for whom sports was a vocation. It wasn't, you know, he, he was, he was like devoted to his craft. His craft just happened to be basketball, but the, he brought so much to it, you know, and I had observed that in, in my father and other people in that world, you know, there was just a sort of commitment and a, a vocation, like I said. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Tom Brady, like, then after Kobe, I started, to, I started, you know, working with Tom, I got to know him personally. And I really just, you know, Tom was interesting, because I grew up a huge Patriots fan. But, you know, I was definitely on the congregation side, I was a fan, I was a person who sat in the stands and, you know, watched him and kind of witnessed all the miracles that he created. And it was sort of interesting to talk to him, because he was on the other side, he was sitting in the middle of, you know, the Citadel, so to speak. And, you know, like, but we sort of shared a common language. We shared a, an experience of, you know, what happens in sports, you know, at the highest level, you know, peak performance is everything sort of slows down and everything becomes one. And the athlete and the observer sort of become one in moments, you know, stuff like that. And so I don't know, it just sort of like that was my fascination. I am a huge fan to this day. Like I, you know, watch games. I'm a diehard Celtics fan, et cetera. 
But like I, I look at sports through the lens of storytelling. You know, I the types of stuff that I and my you know colleagues do is is sort of we like to think elevated and premium and like you know it's less concerned with what's last night's score and more like what's the what's the bigger picture. We all sort of joke around is like actually our audience is the non-sports fan. If we can get somebody who's like, and I get this sometimes, especially like with some of the Tom Brady stuff, people say to me, Oh, you know, I, I don't like football because it's too violent and the head injuries and or you know, like I'm a Steelers fan, man. I hate Tom Brady. Like, but I watched that piece and you know what? Like I was inspired. I made my kids watch because it's bigger than sports, you know, and some of the lessons you just read you know, from, from the opening of the book, like there, you know, you don't have to be an athlete to understand, you know, what a lot of athletes talk about when they're talking about sacrifice and resilience. Um, the reason I say, the reason we put our kids in, you know, sports programs is not because we think they're going to become Tom Brady or, you know, Serena Williams or Steph Curry or whatever. It's because they're going to learn really important life lessons about failure, you know, the greatest hitters in the history of baseball fail seven out of 10 times. You know, Tom Brady always tells me, he's like, it's not the seven Super Bowls that I won. It's the three Super Bowls that I lost from which I learned the most. And that's a common theme you see with even the greatest. Yeah. I'm working with Serena Williams. She's, you know, one, she went to 34 Grand Slam finals. You know, it's the 11 that she lost that she thinks about the most, you know, and taught her the most. And she always says, it wasn't for those 11 i wouldn't have won the 23 so you know it's those are the types of things that i think i'm fascinated by like what are the life lessons that are sort of embedded in the world of sports one of the things that you said uh a moment ago was around sort of like the i guess the the, the sort of the the obsession for the craft and i not not uh to your degree, but as a lifelong photographer and filmmaker, yeah. I've also worked with many of the great photographs, Serena, several times for, you know, pretty intimately for ad campaigns where you're, you know, you have to hit the tennis ball a very specific sort of way to the layout. And, and the same is true with, you know, Travis Rice or, <clears throat> you know, any number of the best athletes in the world. And there's something, you know, my experience with, you know, being that close to the people who are, you know, are literally the best in the world, Kelly Slater or, or Serena as examples, like, is there is a different frequency, there is a different um, je ne sais quoi that I find very difficult to put my finger on. But it's very common at that level of athlete. Yeah, I think the same is true for, you know, many of the greatest entrepreneurs or yeah. many of the greatest artists. And I'm wondering, if in your, you know, studying these folks as closely as you have, can you put a finger on that thing? What is the thing that unites them other than just a passion for excellence and a desire to be great at their craft? But you hinted at it earlier. I'm just wondering if we can go deeper there. What is yeah. it? What do you I feel think, like? I think there's is? a couple things. And I think, you know, there's things like all of them in my, you know, they they obsess over things for sure. You know the process. It's the small details. Um, but you know, there's also it's the chip. It's the chip on the shoulder. You know, Tom Brady. You know, up until the very end, thought of himself as the 199th pick. He was this. He always found little things to 
mentally almost like play tricks on himself, like to um, convince himself that he was a sort of the underdog. Um, Serena Williams, who you know, by all accounts is the greatest ever. The like, greatest I don't, ever. <laughs> in her mind, she always thought, no, like I'm, you know, on the outside looking in. I'm not supposed to be here. You know, I'm the little girl for Com- from Compton. Nobody wants me here. You know, and they they sort of play these mental tricks on themselves to challenge themselves. Because, you know, especially when you get later in your career and when you are kind of established as the GOAT, you have to find, you know, the repetition is hard. Like that's that's what all these athletes talk about is just like the boredom. Like how do you keep at it? How do you keep doing the same thing? And so you have to find ways to sort of challenge yourself. So I'd say that's one thing. Like they have this gift, you know, of, um, you know, LeBron James to this day. Like he hears all the comparisons to Michael Jordan, people who sort of say, oh, no, he hasn't reached that level. And so he's constantly challenging himself. Um, I think, uh, you know, Steph Curry grew up. He was the kid who was too small. Oh, his dad was, you know, in the NBA. He was, you know, born with the silver spoon in his mouth. You know, he didn't get into the big time colleges. He had to go to Davidson. He dropped in the draft. <laughs> These are the stories, you know, they sort of tell themselves to keep on challenging themselves. Let's say that's one thing. And then the other thing is actually not mystical or whatever. It's they do the work. They do the work, you know. All those people I just listed, if you ask them, like, what's the quality that differentiates them from everyone else, you know, because when you get to the pros, like everyone's talented, everyone is elite, everyone is gifted. So what is the quality that really separates them? They'll all say, oh, it's my will. It's my mental toughness. It's my ability to keep on going. It's my ability to get up, you know, when, when, you know, failure, to be resilient. Um, Serena said to me, um, I said, you know, what's the thing that differentiates you from everyone else? And she said, oh, it's my will to work. She's like, I can't tell you how many times I I woke up in the morning not wanting to go out and hit balls, you know, practice. I also can't tell you a single time that I didn't. I just, you know, it's like, that's it. It's it's the work ethic, you know, and it's just like that unwillingness. You know, I used to go to training sessions with Kobe Bryant at 430 in the morning. He just was like, that's just the way he was wired, you know, and it it was different and that's what differentiated him from everyone else. So um, I think, you know, a lot of times we get caught up in like, you know, cause I am obsessed with like peak performance and flow state and being in the zone. And certainly that's the product, but part of the formula is just going the repetition and doing it over and over and over and over again. Um, I was with Tom Brady, I think like, you know, he was in like year 17 or 18, like so far into his career had won so many Super Bowls, was obsessed. He's in the back of his uh, house. This is when he lived in Brookline in his backyard, I think in April. This was like literally weeks after he had orchestrated the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history when, you know, the Patriots came back against the Falcons and won the Super Bowl. We're weeks later and he's in the backyard with a helmet on and shoulder pads with the dog running around, like trying to sort of, you know, perfect his throwing motion. He just wasn't satisfied. It was like, oh, there's still more. There's more for me to achieve. I can still perfect this, you know, and it's just, it's like, it's a mad scientist, you know, and I also sort of found that fascinating. One of the things, again, having been around a lot of uh, folks like this throughout my career as an artist and certainly here in the show, uh, you, know, you get to pick people's brains and the show's now, f- I think, 14 years old. Uh, you, a lot of people ask like, wow, what's it like 
what, what, you know, what is the, what are these people like? What's it like to be, you know, hitting balls with Serena or shooting hoops with, <laughs> with, you know, Kobe or whatever, or, or what's it like hanging out? And my, like the, those personalities and to be that good, there is something I don't want to, it's, it's just different. And you talked about the work, you talked about the, the talent, the gifts, the raw genetics, those things are a product of it. But as you said, also everyone at that level is elite. But one thing that's not, that I do not see at that level, and I, I'm, I want you specifically to comment on this, for, against, neutral, whatever, but there isn't balance. Obsession <laughs> yeah. and balance don't yeah. actually, they don't, yeah. they don't go together. And while it's natural and we talk pretty openly in our culture and uh you know about harmony for example your father speaks uh, uh, you know at length about balance and harmony and how and yet i do not have the experience being that close to greatness of balance and harmony and a lot of these things that are typically envious or we are envied enviable towards those things yeah. in culture so and yet we we love these people yeah, because they're great. So uh, I'm wondering if you can, you know, sure. what are some of your insights around yeah. that? Can you reconcile those things? No, I mean, look, I think you see it often. There's a consequence to greatness, you know, and oftentimes that's imbalance. That is greatness on the pitch or on the field or on the court, and about like you know stress and and agony off of it. You know, it's well chronicled. You know, Kobe Bryant's indiscretions. Like he was great. He won five championships. He's an all-time guy. His life off of early in his life, anyway, off of the court was difficult. Um, Tom Brady, like, you know, look at, you know, his personal life, like it is difficult. It is because in order to achieve that type of greatness, you got to be all in. You have to do the work. You have to show up constantly. You miss birthday parties and anniversaries and all that sort of stuff. And that has a consequence, you know. And one of the things I always sort of guess admired or, or observed with Kobe is like he wanted to be great no matter the cost it's worthy of admiration I don't know if I envy it I don't know if I want it yeah. you know like um but you know and then you know you see like Steph Curry is an example of like you know he's probably as balanced as anyone I've ever seen you know like he's elite and you know greatest shooter of all times in my opinion He's also, you know, um, he's pretty stable, you know, pretty stable. He's a good dad. You know, he's got a strong marriage, all that sort of stuff. But it takes constant work, you know, and I think I think it's hard. um, But I think it's also what, you know, we all we all want to be happy in our personal lives. But it's a huge challenge. And sometimes, I mean, Michael Jordan is an example, and I, I don't know Michael personally, but like, you know, having watched The Last Dance and observed and talked to a lot of people, I mean, he's the GOAT. And yet, you know, his life is is challenged. His personal life is challenging. So it is something I think a lot of them, you know, later in life also, you know, get on these quests to try to find that balance. And oftentimes it's after their careers, you know, um, I spend a lot of time with Tom right now, you know, and Tom's still, I mean, he's only like 45 years old. I think that's the other thing, you know, in athlete terms, you get to your late thirties, God forbid you reach 40 and it's like, you're ancient, but in human terms, you know, you're still pretty young. You still have like, as they say, the back nine to go. And so there's still a lot of life lessons, still a lot of time to sort of find that balance. Um, 
And I think it's become a lot more um, part of our cultural vernacular to talk about things like mental health and sports and, you know, finding balance and stuff like that. Whereas before, you know, the generation of the Toms and the Kobe's and the Serena's was like mental toughness. Just put that aside. Don't, yep. you know, confront your weaknesses. Don't talk about any of that. Um, just bury it. And I think we're sort of in an era where actually yeah, you can talk about like um, mental health. You can talk about like the cost sometimes of that obsession and try to find find that balance. Yeah. I think that's part of what interests the listeners for yeah. our show is they want to be great. And, you know, I, I consistently wrestle with answering the questions that I get from the community around like, want to be great. And, you know, what are the secrets, the keys, the insights? And it, it rarely involves balance. I'm an advocate of harmony, which is, yeah. you know, if you, if you've, you know, you've got, what is it, what is it? Four burners and it's work. Uh, home. I don't remember what the four burners are, but you, you you can really only tend to one or two pots at the same time, not all three or four. And so if you go deep on one thing for a while, you got to be able to shelve it and then be super present. And the other thing that's, it's more of harmony rather than all four pots yeah. sort of simmering nicely. I just, I just never see that. And I, I love the point that you brought up about how, you know, culturally, I think there's an increased awareness that these folks are human historically you know, think of the phrase shut up and dribble, you know, it's like, we did not want to hear from athletes. And yet today we see them have, you know, platforms where they get to advocate beyond just playing their sport. What is, what is your sense of the role that athletes have? You know, you've got a a chapter in the book, uh, moral codes, um, you know, through, through the lens of morality, is there an obligation if someone is great at, at sports and has the spotlight on them to somehow be a great human? And are we asking too much? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to use that expression, shut up and dribble. You know, I um, directed and produced a documentary series a couple of years ago called shut up and dribble. Yep. Um, and you know, I'm a big believer, you know, like I sort of started like sports as a language. So I'm not one of those people who's like, you know, sports is over here and politics is over there. Religion is over here. Sports is the language through which we talk about and we have historically. So, you know, um, shut up and dribble. That expression, you know, comes from a couple of years ago, you know, Laura Ingraham telling LeBron James to shut up and dribble. But LeBron follows in the lineage of, you know, Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, you know, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapinoe, you know, who use their platforms to talk about things, you know, from civil rights to equal pay. Um, We just have a new series out called The World According to Football with Trevor Noah, who talks, you know, who uses football or soccer, the world's most popular sport, as the language or the lens through which to talk about, you know, some of the existential issues going on all over the planet. So. You know, this has been part of our history is to use sports, Jesse Owens, you know, um, uh, Billie Jean King, to talk about some of the big social um, issues uh, in this country and really all over the world. So, um, and, you know, sports and spirituality, it's like, oh, so, you know, one of the things uh, I know we're jumping around, but like, you know, I I work with a ton of athletes who come to me and say, hey, 
Yeah, I know. I'm struggling. Like uh, it's the intensity of the pressure, social media, the scrutiny, you know, the fans, like now fans are interacting directly with athletes on their social media platforms. So, you know, they hear the haters and, you know, so Draymond Green and I work together, you know, Draymond's known for all of his emotional um, outbursts, et cetera. And Draymond's like, hey, I heard about this thing called meditation can you help me you know like what is this thing so you know i i introduced him to my dad stuff so i think a lot of athletes are now looking for those ways to find that balance and you know i think that's a great thing and by the way it also helps them in performance you know and yeah. so um you know lebron james talks very openly you know i think he endorses calm you know but he uses uh, mindfulness as a practice that obviously is also helping him, you know, whatever year 21 of his incredible career. So you know, sports is a really interesting language, both on the social issue side, the spiritual. Um, I think it's part of it's it's part of the fabric of of who we are. Is that the reason that you wrote a book? Like what's the the package of a book is so different? Yeah. Uh, then, you know, your other storytelling experiences and, and leaving, you know, having a, a career as a visual artist and also having written books. I'm wondering if for you, was it just a different package? Yeah. Was it, was it, you know, why the book and what did you feel like was, was easier for you or, uh, or a, a better vehicle and what was yeah. more difficult and a worse vehicle between those two, yeah. two different disciplines? I think, you know, the book is a way of codifying in some ways. The, the, the People always ask me, like we're talking about here, it's like, oh, what, you know, what have you observed? What have you seen in common? What are the, the things that make, you know, these athletes great and stuff? And, you know, sometimes we're, especially, you know, we're with this company, Religion of Sports, like producing all the stuff and moving so fast. And the book is a way to sort of like pause and observe and reflect and, like I said, codify, you know, and and just have something that's like, here's, you know, a sort of scripture, so to speak, you know, here, yeah. here are some of the lessons, you know, at a certain moment in time that have been collected over time. And so um, it's fun to have it out there. It's also like, you know, books pick up, you know, right now we're living in a world where content just it just comes out so fast and the algorithm just moves on. You know, book is something that is sort of static, but in a good way, you know, and I think like there's, you know, it doesn't change. Like it doesn't um, come and go. It doesn't appear like just in that top 10, you know, uh, Netflix algorithm thing, and then just move on through the churn. A book, you know, lasts forever in some ways. And so I really enjoyed that you know it's interesting because it does feel kind of like almost like an ancient art for art form you know when you write a book you turn in a manuscript and then nine months goes by because you know that's just how long it takes to sort of print and publish a book like what other world does it take that long you know to sort of create content and then you know like i mean in the nine months since that book has sort of been in the process like the amount of stuff that has happened. I mean, there's. I feel like I'm ready for the sequel because, like, there's so much more. You know, I've learned since then. Um, but it is fun to have. It's a great holiday gift right now. <laughs> people. Um, so I really yeah, I do, it. and the feedback is great. You know, you hear from a lot of people who are already reading and reflecting, have their own stories to share. The book, for uh, sake of the listeners and the watchers, 
definitely pick it up. It's called The Religion of Sports. Uh, the subhead is navigating the trials of life through the games we love. Uh, you get a sense of the, you know, the all of the things that we're talking about here are essentially captured in the book, plus a lot of insane stories about a lot of the athletes that you've mentioned. Um, I'm curious if we can go back to your sort of creative roots for a second, because, sure. you know, also, as you mentioned in the book, your parents weren't sport lovers. <laughs> and yeah. one of the biggest, one of the biggest questions or the biggest themes for our listeners is around how to sort of be or become the thing that you want to be in this world, despite the external pressures your grandparents want you to be something there's pressure from your your career counselor and the most difficult thing is a lot of these people they they think they have your interests in mind and trying to push you to the thing that you're supposed to be doing oh you should be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant yeah. and yet the people in 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 you know in my tribe they are youtubers and filmmakers and writers and and yeah. entrepreneurs and business builders and so you know those were those were things that were eschewed by the those people who were important yeah. in their lives. And I've got to think with your father uh, having the, the, the career and the success that he's had in a very, very different space that you faced some of this. You talked about it in the book, like you weren't raised in a sports family, sports loving family. And yet, as you said earlier, there you were in the heart of Boston in the epicenter of one of the you know biggest sports cities in America. So what was it like pursuing your passion yeah. in a world where, uh, it may be, it was uh, a challenge or different. Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate because on the one hand, you know, my my parents were immigrants. My father's like sort of the classic immigrant story of coming to this country with very, you know, little money in his pocket and having, and and part of why I, you know, grew up in a world where I sort of became obsessed with sports um, was because my father wasn't wasn't around. Like he was working all the time. He was working in two hospitals, moonlighting at night, you know, working in the emergency room, just earning a living. And so, you know, yeah, I don't really have memories of my father sort of playing catch with me in the front yard or coming to my basketball games or taking me to Celtics games. He did have a friend who had season tickets. And so that's how I sort of got exposed to, you know, the Celtics who were great, you know, in the 80s when I was growing up in Boston. Um, but and then, you know, I just like, I think what happened with my father is like, you know, like I said, when he when I was a teenager and he started to have he's he found his purpose. And one of the things he sort of talks about is like it took him 40 plus years in his life to find the thing that he was most passionate about and then practice it. And so as I was growing up, he was like, follow your passion. So, yeah, he wasn't particularly a lover of sports, but he could see it that I was and, you know, fostered that and, you know, encouraged me. And um, so I, you know, contrary to the popular belief, my, you know, of immigrants, they want their kids to become, you know, physicians or lawyers or tradesmen or whatever. It's like, I actually was pushed to be, you no, know, like find the thing that you're most passionate about and follow it. Um, my grandmother, you know, used to tell us when, um, you're growing up, me and my cousins, she would say, you know, um, follow, worship the goddess of knowledge, um, Sarasvati, and then Lakshmi, the goddess of prosperity, will become jealous and follow you. And so that I remember that to this day, find the thing that you're passionate about, pursue the knowledge, and then success will follow you, you know. Um, and so that's just sort of the culture that I was raised around. 
And, you know, it took me a while. Like I said, you know, I thought sports was a thing that I just like, I was a fan for a long time. And it was a personal thing. It wasn't really a professional thing. It took time and experience and trial and error and failure um, before like I got it and I got lucky. You know, I got really lucky. I was very fortunate also with my father and then, you know, the success he had and sort of the, the network that that opened up for me. Um, but I also, you know, the same thing I was saying earlier about like, you know, these great athletes and their just relentless, you know, work ethic. Like, I saw that in my father. Like I saw it like he just he never ever stopped you know and he, he just he was always working and um you know just like the grit that went with it so it's it's something that i've seen like you said earlier you know there's sports there's creative there's entrepreneurial and like a lot of the component parts of success are the same like it's the same you know and um it's uh it's something i've really tried to observe and 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 apply in my own life you mentioned this is a selfish question now you you mentioned um failure mm-hmm. as you know a very key vector for folks like serena it wasn't the 23 that she won it was the 11 she lost same with tom i'm writing about failure i have a book due that's on the due, due the 31st of december wow. here we are that we're recording this on the 12th <laughs> yeah. of december so you know yeah. the paint that i'm in right yeah. now um i'm wondering if you can talk about the themes of how in your experience the world's greatest athletes deal with failure you mentioned that sure they use them yeah but i'm wondering can we scratch a little deeper like whatever like how do they actually use them and it's easy to talk about failure losing the super bowl for example or not you know whatever it's the jordan quote like you know it's not the 32 games i won it's the 20 you know the 84 i lost trying to take the last shot of the game but, you know, having done all of this documentary work and been very, very close to this, what do you see? How, how yeah. if you were going to give advice to our audience, what are the best in the world do with failure that other people don't? Well, yeah. So, you know, a couple of years ago, we produced a series called Greatness Code, which is, lives on Apple Plus. And it's really the, it's a short, short form content, but it's basically the best athletes on the planet. So LeBron James and Tom Brady and... Simone Biles and uh, others, uh, Steph Curry, who tell you the story of their greatest performance uh, or their most memorable one, the one that in their minds, you know, it's like, this is when I was in peak performance flow state. One of the things I noticed is every time they started to tell that story, they would say, before I tell you that story, let me tell you about the time I fell flat on my face when everybody was watching and I just like didn't have it. Like I missed the game winning shot. I missed... You know, Kobe Bryant talks about, you know, the four air balls he shot in a playoff game in his rookie year and how formative it was. The great ones use that as a catalyst. First of all, they sit in the pain. Like they don't just like move on, but they sit in the pain and they sort of like, um, but then they sort of let it go and move on and learn. I remember once, you know, being with, with Kobe and I was watching um a basketball game i'm not going to name names but we were watching a game and this guy shot 0 for 9 in the first half and then the second half he his his second half at the end of the game his stat line read 0 for 9 i meaning he didn't take a shot in the second half and kobe said to me he goes bro i would go 0 for 49 before i stopped shooting you know that guy psyched himself out 
And, you know, like Toby used to always say, is like the greatest competitor is myself. Like, and I'm not going to lose to myself. And so it's just that ability to sort of like sit in the pain, observe, but then learn from it and move on. And like, there's, there's actually like a, a mechanics to that. Um, and so I always just found that like really fascinating, like that ability. Michael Strahan talks about this a lot. Like he's like, you know, I got to a point in my career that physically, like I knew what I had to do. It was sort of mentally, could I, you know, deal with failure? Could I sort of pick myself up? And, you know, that's what I learned later in my life. And like, if you look at Michael Strahan's like, you know, career statistics, it's later in his career that he was sort of, you know, his more, his hall of fame stats kicked in. And so it's, you know, it's that ability to sort of emotionally, mentally navigate, you know, the, the sort of challenges, the failures um, that I think really define greatness. Um, Sean White, you know, who's sort of like an Olympian and he talks about like this, you know, during the Olympic trials, it's in that greatness go series. He talks about like, just going out and completely like messing up everything. And he's like, you know what I found? Like I got back up for the second. And he's like, I kind of, it was do or die. And I just was like, F it, you know, letting go, let go of like, okay, that was bad. What did I do wrong? But now let me just let go of it. Like, let me be reborn. And, you know, and then he has like this incredible performance and he, you know, he, he obviously qualifies for the Olympics and goes on to win a gold medal. But it's like actually that moment of failure that becomes the catalyst for greatness. And um, I think that's what the great ones do. Mm. Wow. So we've got all these examples of greatness. And yet we still, it's still absolutely elusive because it's alchemy right? It's not a formula. It's, you know, it's like two parts, eye of newt, one part, leg of lizard, you know, it's this, this very sort of ephemeral fleeting thing. Can you put a, can you put a couple pins in these things? The unexpected ones we've talked about the willingness to fail, to sort of look funny in front of your friends or to fall on your face. We've talked about the hard work. These are I don't think they would surprise anyone if you ask, you know, how many times, how many three pointers has Steph Curry shot? He's probably shot more than any person in the world, which is probably why he's, you know, the best in the world at shooting the, shooting the basketball. But are there any hidden ones or is there any theme to things that people that are not on the surface that you've experienced in your sort of that tie? And I'm thinking of this, like, these are the things that tie in, in your world you know, this is why it's a religion. There's something that's so deep and so fundamental, but unexpected. Going to church every day on Sunday, that's, you can see that that's spiritual or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Knowing the scriptures or whatever. But what are, what, what are the building blocks that people don't Yeah, so see? it's actually, in my experience and observation, it's a lot less mystical. Than that. Like the, the expression of, you know, the moment of peak performance and flow state, it is magical when you see it as a fan or certainly when you experience it as an athlete, like it's, it has all the, you know, the, the, the hallmarks, right? Like time slows down and, you know, it's total silence and you become one with the game or whatever, you know, however athletes describe it, or even fans who are like, you know, in the moment and sort of yep. lose all sense outside of, you know, just like what's happening on the pitch or whatever. But actually, when you think of like, what's the formula for getting there? Like, what are some of the common coding, so to speak? 
you know, one of the things I've observed with the great athletes, and a lot of times it happens later in their careers, right? Like they've obviously had a lot of experience, but they just, they're more in touch with their bodies. Physically, maybe they can't do what they once did because just as we all get older, you know, there's limitations taken. So they become a lot more conscious of like, okay, like, well, what are the things, you know, that I need to do to optimize myself so that I can reach that moment of flow state more often? It's things like, sleep you know like recovery so recovery like you know like how do you let your body and your mind you know recover so sleep is a critical element there's now a lot of data around all of this sort of stuff you know again not exactly shocking diet and nutrition like you know how do i like give myself the fuel like to be able to perform at the highest level um, you know, movement. So uh, again, this goes to recovery. Tom talked about this endlessly. I've witnessed so many, you know, pliability. Uh, LeBron James talks about this, like what he does on his off days to sort of work on his body to in enable himself to perform at the highest level. Then the two other, which are a little bit more ephemeral, we talked a little bit about, you know, mindfulness, meditation, but a lot of athletes are now like, oh, I need silence. I need to get away from, I need to get off of social media. I need to get out of like just all the noise, you know, so how do I do that? Well, it's, you know, there's practices like meditation, mindfulness, it's sort of removing yourself from just all the craziness of the world. And then the last one is relationships, you know, it's like, what are the sort of who, who are the, you know, do, who do I surround myself with? And, you know, there are people who take energy and there are people that give energy. Um, I don't know him personally, but you know, one of the things you see with LeBron James right now in year 21 is like he seems to have a pretty harmonious family life. He's at his kids basketball games. He's taught, you know, he, he posts up all the time with his wife. Like there's stability there. I saw this with Tom Brady, you know, like I saw like. When times are good, like everything, and when he was winning Super Bowls, like there was a reason. There was sort of tranquility, you know, like life is complicated and, you know, it, it's hard. But, you know, relationships is a big part of like having that um, success and reaching, you know, flow state is having, like you said, harmony, you know. And and um, I think that's a, you know, those are the sort of five pillars or five key components that I think help optimize you know performance are there any pillars hallmarks um dna clues that we wouldn't want as non-elite athletes for these other areas of our lives yeah. or are all of these or is this language to use your word, the language of sports, is it truly universal or are, are there some characteristics that don't translate well? Um, well, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier. It's like obsession is dangerous, you know, um, like, and, you know, becoming so obsessed. So greatness at all costs, you know, there's, there's a consequence to that. And I think, yeah. you know, a danger to that. Um, and so, <clears throat> I think that's something to be sort of mindful of, you know, and like you were saying, I think we're living in a time right now where we're also exposed to so much more, a lot of like what we were talking about, you know, like all of these things that are now 
traceable. Like we, you know, we wear our aura rings and our our our, um, our watches and stuff like that. And they all, you know, yeah, measure. Like we can sort of measure this stuff. So, um, but I, you know, I think that the danger is also. Look, by the way, the big danger in all of this is social media. You know, is like sort of becoming so buried in the noise um, that yeah. you know we lose ourselves. And and I think that's you know something again try to stay really mindful of. But no, I think like, I think it is pretty translatable. Success is, you know, the thing I love about sports, you know, as a filmmaker, obviously is like, it's, it's um, cinematic, like it's physical. Like you can see when it's happening. You can see when an athlete is reaching flow state. Um, you can feel it. And, you know, that, but that, so a lot of that same stuff, I mean, we all go through this, right? We get so buried in our work, we lose a sense of time, you know, like this hour has flown by because I don't think we're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in it. We're in, um, yes, like, you know, it. we're not thinking about the future or the past, you know, we're in it. And so I think, but, you know, it, it's not a cinematic necessarily, you know, but, um, <laughs> but it's the same fundamental experience of losing time, becoming one with the experience. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I sort of am fortunate. I love what I do. And, you know, I, I love sort of talking about this stuff and really engaging with people. Um, and so, but I, I think it's this, it's a lot of the same DNA. Congrats again on the book. It's the religion of sports, navigating the trials of life through the games that we love. What's next? I mean, you've been insanely prolific for the last decade specifically, but your whole career, like you mentioned something about whether it was intentional or not, spending time with Serena now. So you're clearly working on something, yeah. uh, but presumably others as well. Is there anything you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, we have a whole bunch of projects here. Um, you know, so the company that I started, you know, whatever, seven or eight years ago called Religion of Sports, you know, has a number of amazing filmmakers and editors and producers and writers and artists and stuff like that. So yeah, we have a project with Serena that we're working on right now. It'll be, you know, we did a couple of years ago, this project called Man in the Arena with Tom Brady. Um, and, you know, was, that one was easy because there were like 10 Super Bowls and 10 episodes. Serena and her 34 Grand Slam finals has presented quite a challenge. <laughs> you sort of can <laughs> Into, not too know, many series of 30 yeah. 34 right well, our friends at disney are not you know willing to let us do 34 episodes so we're you know working with them but that's a big thing that we're working on it'll come out in the summer you know it's called in the arena serena williams or as we like to call it serena in the arena um and so that'll launch but yeah we have a number of different projects you know working with other sort of athletes um but, you know, I'd say the thing that I'm really enjoying now is like actually getting to work with other creators. I mean, Serena is amazing, obviously, but it's like the 10, 15, you know, creative people that are working alongside me that I get to yeah. mentor now and learn from. Um, I really enjoy that. So, you know, this building that I'm in right now has 40 odd people who work here day in, day out. And um, it's a lot of like what we're building together um, and getting to do so. So yeah, we like the Trevor Noah thing that came out, I think like 10 days ago. That's yeah, congrats fun. on that. Um, so it's also just like being part of a creative community um, and, and doing some special stuff. Anywhere else you would steer our listeners and watchers to learn a little bit more? 
besides the book, of course, we're very good buyers and supporters of our authors yeah. and, and artist friends, creative friends. Um, but anywhere else you'd want to steer our attention? You know, like, I mean, we reach, it was a really interesting experience, sort of chronicled a little bit in the book, working with Conor McGregor. Like, he's the other. Extreme. Oh, yeah. Um, like, yeah was, you, know, was, like, you think you called it difficult or something yeah. like that? Yeah. There, I remember. Challenging, for sure. Challenging. Um, that's right. Challenging. So, uh, but it was a great series that ended up on Netflix um, a couple months ago. So that's out there. Um, but yeah, our content, you know, you can still go back to the ESPN platform and find the Man in the Arena or Tom versus Time. Um, so there's, there's, it's all over the place. You go, the best place to go is our website, religionofsports.com, and it'll direct you to all the different places. But I'm a, I'm also just, it's also not just our content. There's great stuff out there, and I'm a storyteller, and I love, you know, great storytelling. I also like go. One of the things we talk a lot about here is, you know, Joseph Campbell, Hero of a Thousand Faces. You know, like um, those are journey yeah. and going back to. The basics you know and as we you know live in this crazy world of like social media and tiktok and instagram and like stuff like that like it's so easy to get caught up in the in the sort of delivery platform and like this but it's some it's going back to great storytelling you know and no matter how the the form changes or the delivery method changes you know storytelling still is sort of at the epicenter of it and storytelling yeah. is is a craft you know it's not like you just it's like sports you know you don't just wake up one day and like achieve greatness you know it's like you got to put in the work you got to learn the skills you have to practice over and over again and so there's some great stuff out there that you know we we try to remind ourselves like go back to the basics well you were also very clear about community and and one one i think an interesting point for us to maybe wrap up on is this idea that like you have the community of your interest focus, which is sports, right? And then you also have your community of creators. Mm -hmm. And it's in that overlapping Venn diagram, the people who create amazing work around, you know, the shared idea, the shared topic of sports, like those are really your people. So yeah. how can you seek those people out? And I'm sure it's quite fun to be there in your studios, uh, sitting around a bunch of people who yeah. geek out on this stuff. Yeah, and and uh, congrats for pulling on that thread and finding something that you love. We all benefit a lot from you being happy and excited and continue to put out more work. So thanks again for being on the show. The Religion of Sports, get the book, folks. It's fantastic. And uh, again, consider yourself a guest on the show whenever you want, whenever you got more stuff coming out. And uh, until next time, thank you very, very much. And to everybody out there, from Gotham and myself, we bid you a great day. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community, all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. 
All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <laughs>